Good morning. Good to see you. Thank you, Colin, for uh, leading this morning, days away, on a much-needed vacation, and I appreciate Colin stepping in to do this. There's a lot of announcements in your bulletin. We were supposed to have a uh, life group video this morning, but we had some technical difficulty in the first service. So if you're uh, part of CAC, maybe you're here for the first time, hopefully after the service you'll come up and introduce yourself. But if you're a part of CAC, you probably already realize that there's 1,000 to 1,500, actually 1,800 people claim CAC as their church. Very difficult because of that to get connected, to get to know everyone. And so life groups is one of the best ways to be able to do that. Couldn't have helped miss those tables out there this morning when you walk out. When you do today, you can walk out to the left and be able to see all the opportunities to get connected with someone, maybe to learn a new skill, maybe just to be able to deepen your walk with God in one way or the other. But pick and choose, kind of go meet somebody, talk to them about the group, try to figure out where you belong, how you fit, experiment with one for a while, maybe try another one next time we offer it. But take advantage of that opportunity to get connected. A lot of people come in and out, really don't get to know everyone. Some like that, they come to a large church for that anonymity where they, anonymity where they can just come in and go out. But we'd love for you to get connected, and that's one of the great ways to do that. If you have children between birth and fifth grade, you're going to want to make sure they're registered for the fall, and they can do that as well outside these doors. When you walk down toward our children's wing, there's a very large table to do that. You already, I'm sure, have noticed in the news that a lot of folks in Louisiana and California are going through difficulty that no one can fathom unless you've ever been there. And every time I see those pictures, I'm overwhelmed with the atrocities, the depravity, the difficulty of of what it is they're having to deal with. And then the picture goes away and we go on with another news story and it's very easy because of so much news around us to forget that they're going to be dealing with that for a long period of time. So don't forget to pray for them. We've got two Alliance churches in Louisiana, one near Baton Rouge and one new, near New Orleans. And uh, they would love to know that their sisters in Butler are praying for them and brothers in Christ are praying for them. You also have a number of agencies that you can use to help them Comma, I always, if I'm going to give money, I want to make sure I know where it's going and that all of it's going where it's intended to do. Comma, C-A-M-A, is the relief arm of the CNMA, and they're helping there as well with these churches and some of the people in their churches who have lost everything. Samaritan's Purse is one of the other ones that I probably trust more than anyone, and uh, they also are there, and you can give to them and maybe help that out. Obviously, a lot of people have gone to those kinds of places, but if uh, I just want you to be able to pray for them and uh, recognize that, that when the news goes on to another subject, you'll do that. I very seldom deal with political issues. They're so numerous, sometimes you don't know where to start and stop. Obviously, I'll be talking a little bit more about it as we get toward the fall elections. But a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pennsylvania Family Institute brought in Randy, one of their premier advocates for what churches are going through and some of the changes in our culture are going through, talking to us about some of the things in Pennsylvania, especially with gender identity and all the implications of that. And then we began to talk about one that's going on with Butler City Council even as we speak. And supposedly on Thursday night, they're going to vote as to whether or not to include, the, the list is endless of things that they will include, but gender identity and expression and sexual orientation and all of that is one of the things they're considering for housing and help and employment and services. And, and I, as believers in Christ, we need to speak to some issues think this is one of those. There are a couple of things I have in the bulletin next week that are actually up for vote in our Senate and House here in the state of Pennsylvania 
that I think we as believers in Christ have a responsibility to, to speak to, address, as well as calls our senators and uh, congressmen. And, and I, wanna, I want you to do that. If you can go on Thursday night, my parents are celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary on Thursday night and want me to come and renew their vows. Um, what's fascinating is mom called me a couple weeks ago and said, Dad and, Dad and I want to renew our vows. And I said, Dad and you. She said, yeah, wasn't I clear? I said, well, you said Dad. He wants, yeah, he really wants to do this. So we're going to have fun with that, but I can't be there Thursday night. If some of you could, you need to call the city council building to make sure that you're there, they recognize that you're coming, and then be involved. Um, I'm about up to here with political correctness and, and some of the changes in the, in the cultural experiments that we're continually going through from the White House down. And we don't do much and we don't say much. As believers in Christ, I think we have a responsibility to say what the Word of God says, and secondly, to do it with grace, and not yell, not scream, not pound pulpits and beat drums, but say it with grace, and stand up for what we know is true and what we believe is true, but do it well, and do it as believers in Christ, and, and share a good witness and a good testimony. So if you can do that, we can get you the information, uh, but if you would go, or some of you would go, the implications are enormous. Beyond that, for schools, for private schools, public schools, um, camps, agencies like that, and then the litigation that comes with that. Even if you want to fight it, uh, the price sometimes of the litigation outweighs the ability for the organization to deal with it or fight it. And so the implications are enormous with some of these. And like I said, I'll have some more information next week, but I found out on Friday this is supposedly coming to vote on Tuesday or Thursday night at the Butler City Council meeting. And I just think it's important, if you can go, uh, I'd love to have a good representation. A lot of us as pastors are speaking to that issue this morning and asking you to do that. How many of you still write handwritten letters? Really? That's awesome. You notice in a letter you're able to express what you always can't verbally, what you, what you really want to think through, what it is that you're about to say, the implications of what you're about to say. You want to express your heart and your soul to someone. And, and you know, Snapchat, Instagram, and, and uh, Twitters and tweets and all the stuff that we do today with a short amount of verses and, and words are not able to always express that. And very few anymore, because of all the technology out there, really express themselves in that particular way. It's always for me, easier to talk than to type. And so when you email me a long thing, I'll probably respond back with three sentences. But for some people, it's so much easier just to express their heart and soul in what they write out. A couple of weeks ago, a pastor friend of mine lost a baby. It was premature, very premature, a lot of physical difficulties that went with that. And I, I don't read blogs. I'm, able to, I'm just barely able to keep up with emails and text. And so I don't read a lot of blogs, but I read Joe's. And I read his heart and soul in that as he began to express himself and what he was feeling. And I felt like as I read it, I was there with him, suffering with him, going through it with him, trying to help him understand his pain. And as well as in the context of all of that, his unbelievable trust in God. As I began to think about that and began to watch him and, and listen to him and read through it, I began to think about what it was like for the Apostle Paul to, to a church that he absolutely adored to express his heart and soul. I can't imagine he sat somewhere thinking 2,000 years ago in Butler, Pennsylvania, the Christian Missionary Alliance Church is going to be unpacking Ephesians. i got to believe what he was writing was his heart and soul, and he really wanted them to understand the enormity of what he was saying. 
and the enormity of the things that God was teaching him and the enormity of what he wanted them to understand based on the word of God. As I began to look at just these first two chapters of Ephesians, I realized the enormous theological implications of these two chapters alone are huge. Churches have argued and divided over some of these issues just in these first two chapters for centuries. Predestination. Are we simply robots wound up by someone out there somewhere with everything predetermined in our lives without any say from us? Is destiny really that way? Where all of a sudden something is already spelled out and I don't have any choice in what I do? That can't be the way it is. Word of God says it isn't. Some believe that. Some feel like they are chosen by God ahead of time to be a part of God's family and get into heaven and others are going to be rejected. The Mormons teach that. If everything is predetermined, then some would wonder why do we have so much emphasis on missions, taking the gospel to the end of the earth. If God's going to do what he wants to do and choose who's in and who's out anyhow, why would the CNMA spend $38 million on that and three of, in our case, three to 400000 from this church? If you were to ask someone... When, they die, would they go to heaven? What do you think they would say? Many of them would say, well, if my good works outweigh my bad, certainly God will take that into account. I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing my best, and certainly I'm a whole lot better than some of the other people that I know. The sad part is, all of us have the same Bible, but some churches actually teach some of those things. That's one of the reasons that we try to get you into the Word of God so that you can understand what it teaches. Most religions of the world believe or teach that if I do good things, offer the right sacrifices, pray the right number of times, even offer myself as a sacrifice, then I'll make it into heaven because they're all in one way or the other trying to please the gods, small g God, or the God of the universe. And they teach that. Hopefully, somehow, we can earn favor in God's sight and get in. Ephesians chapter 2, just these three verses that we're going to unpack this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it is by grace that you've been saved. Not works, not of yourself. It is a gift from God, not by what you have accomplished so that no one could say, look what I have done. The sad part is the theological implications of these two chapters are enormous and have been misinterpreted for centuries. That's one of the reasons we spend so much time in the Word of God and want you to spend time in the Word of God. Many of you come from so many different theological backgrounds. We have probably 670, 680 members at CAC. Out of the 15, 1,800 that come here on a Sunday morning or at least claim this church is theirs. And every time I do membership class, I talk about their theological background. Where you've come from, what, some of the teaching, what are some of the teachings you've heard. And then I try to talk to them about where we are. And I know that a lot of you come from so many different theological backgrounds, but I'm telling you, the Word of God is really clear about some of the things you may have heard that have been misconstrued and have taught you the wrong things for centuries or at least for decades or for years. And we want you in the Word of God because we believe that it's truth in life, not taking it for what someone says in a pulpit or in a statue of some kind, but you are in the Word of God and you see the truth that is in it and you begin to live that out, not what somebody may have told you that you thought was true, but what you know is true because you've read it from the Word of God. These three verses are huge in regards to their impact and implications. The Word of God is a powerful tool. 66 books written over 1,500 years in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, with one consistent message, redemption. 
Over 40 different authors, many of them who never have known each other. Shepherds and fishermen, tax collectors, a doctor, military general, kings, a prime minister, a cupbearer. Some of them with one of the finest education of their time. Written in a variety of forms, in letters and sermons and law and poetry, history and prayers, praise and practical sayings and prophetic warnings. Written on three continents, continents Africa, Asia, and Europe. All these authors who never collaborated from different cultures with different vocations, who spoke different languages, all wrote someone who said, like there was only one author. There is. It's the God of the universe. It's unique in character like no other book in the world. No other book in the world speaks to and enlists attention of all races and cultures, evidenced by the fact that it surpasses every other book ever written. The all-time worldwide bestseller translated in more language than any other book. It tells us where we have come from, why we're here, and where we're going. It offers hope to the destitute and the ruined. It offers life and the hope of eternal life. Nelson Gluick, an American rabbi and academic researcher, said this, It can be stated categorically that no archaeological discovery has ever disputed a biblical reference. Of over 25,000, thousand archaeological sites pertaining to the Bible have been located and investigated, yet not one of them have discarded or discredited anything the Word of God says. Although written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different authors from all walks of life, the Bible is marked by unbelievable unity. No one could explain it other than God. That's why we want you in the Word of God. These three verses, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, have enormous implications. It is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is a gift from God, not of works so that no one can boast. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. That's one of the most foundational, fundamental aspects of Christianity. It is as stated, as clear as you can put it, yet so many still try to earn or work for salvation. It is a gift offered to everyone. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it's not about you. It is about him and what he offers to all of us. Yet so many different religions and so many people from so many different churches try to earn their way in or somehow prove they deserve what it is that they hope God will do at the end of time when he very clearly tells us it is by grace that you've been saved so that no one can ever say, look what I have done. That's one of the things that makes Christianity so absolutely incredible. That the God of the universe, when so many other religions of the world are trying to earn God's favor, earn God's sight, earn God's awareness that they even exist, cut themselves, do whatever's asked, sacrifice themselves, so that somehow, somewhere, God will pay attention. And God's been saying for 2,000 years, look, I know where you're at. I know who you are. I love you so much. I gave my son so that you could have life and have it forever. And I offer it to you freely as a gift. Sadly, so many religions and so many places misconstrue the word of God when in this particular context, he couldn't be more clear. It is a gift. Through faith, acknowledging your sin, recognizing that Christ is who he said he was, and understanding this gift is like no other gift on the planet, and no other gift that anybody can ever give. And I receive that gift. I understand who he is, and I acknowledge him as Savior, and I invite him into my life. That is a gift from God. You don't earn it, you, can't, you don't deserve it, you can't buy it. It's a gift. Second piece, 
Verse 10, you, I, we are God's handiwork. We are God's workmanship, one other section of Scripture says, one other translation. In Greek, the word workmanship implies work of art. You and I are a work of art. You know that? You and I are a work of art. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. Look to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. You and I are a work of art. Sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we think, I'm a work of art. This is what I feel like. That's a Monet. Or Paul Cezanne, one of those two old guys, and you're going, what is that? Okay, I can understand that one a little bit, but sometimes if I think I'm a work of art, that's what I feel like. But you and I are an amazing work of art given to us by the hand of Almighty God, created to be everything he could possibly design us to be. A couple of months ago, you know I love art. I'm just fascinated by it because I can't do it. I, you know, I do a, a, a premarital thing for couples getting ready to get married, and I talk about seven things that are necessary for a great marriage, and I, and I actually draw a wedding cake and the bride and the groom on top of the wedding cake. What do you think they look like? Stick figures. So when anybody talks about art or their ability to do art, I'm amazed by that. A few months ago, I told you I went to the Butler Farm Show, and there was these guys with chainsaws taking just large hunks of wood and carving something like this, and I was astounded by that. A couple days later, somebody sent me this picture and said, look what I found, the finished product. As somebody was hauling it away, and I thought, that is unbelievable what someone did and what someone was able to do. We are a work of art. When I begin to think about the different kinds of art and the different works of art that all of us are, I recognize in my office or some of the people that I knew had different styles of works of art. I brought some of them here and put them on display here for you this morning just as a visual reminder of the diversity of the family of God and the diversity of us. My friend Marvin, uh, a couple of weeks ago, brought that picture in to me. It's my family farm. To me, that meant the world. He just wanted to express something that he knew I loved, and he had the ability to do that and drew it out and brought it to me as a gift. Jim Rankin goes here, and Jim has the ability to to, to understand what it is he wants to create, and he's got the tools at home and the woodworking ability at home, and he creates things like this. And I look at that, I've got one in my office, and I'm going, how do you do that? Sam Tate goes here to our church. She teaches one of the class. She's just incredibly expressive and extremely artistic, and she loves to take things in the Word of God and then kind of paint it out. I've seen her Bible, and it's got breathtaking pictures all the way through it. She did this one here. And, and, and that tiger there, I know it's hard to see, it's so why I have it on the screen for you, but she just loves to express what she sees in the Word of God, some of the animals in the Word, some of the pictures, some of the portraits in the Word of God, and, and put them out. Years ago, we, we did a family thing at the beach, and Con said, I want to take my canvas and oils, and I said, for what? We're going to the beach. She said, well, it may rain. And so it did rain one day, and we all went out and did our own thing. We left her at home and came back, and we found this one that's on the screen uh, on an easel. And we said, now, we had the vehicle. How'd you go out to a store and buy a picture like that? She said, I painted that. <laughs> and we were blown away by its expression and those abilities that were deep inside. She loves art, doesn't always have the time to do it. And I was blown away. Johnny Fredericks is a friend of mine who goes here, and, and Johnny is extremely expressive in his talent and ability and he's got a shop downtown and does tattoos obviously and a lot of different artwork and had the uh, 
fun last week of just kind of going down and seeing some of the stuff he does and his artistic expression, his ability to take what he sees in his head and be able to outline it and put it on and do it in art form. And I'm fascinated by that. One of Connie and I's favorite places is Holmes County, Ohio. It's quiet and we just need that space to kind of get away for a while. And we go to a layman's hardware store in Kindron, Ohio. Kindron, Ohio. And I'm telling you, if you can't find it there, you don't need it. Literally. You, if you can't find it there, you don't need it. We went in a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago, and there's a large display of a number of carvings in there. And on the sign outside, it said, meet the author or the, the carver. And I went in, and I, and I began to look around. I'll show you some in a second. And I said, Mr. Weaver, your talent is unbelievable, what you've done. And how God's given you the ability to take this raw hunk of wood and make something breathtaking out of it. And he said, oh, I know exactly where my gift comes from. A few weeks later, when I come back, I called him up, and I said, is there any chance you could show me a picture of the beginning product and the finished product so that I can show my folks in the context of a message I want to do in a few weeks? And he said, sure. And so he sent me this, which is just a, a, a dead hunk of wood. Kind of like this last week when we talked to you about this is what we are. This is what we think we can do, but God has so much more in mind for us. And he takes that dead piece of wood and creates things like this. And that's 3D. And it's very deep. It's six to seven inches deep inside the wood. I'll show you another one in a second. But that one alone, it's got in the top window to the right, second one in, has a little dog looking out the window. The mane, the flowers hanging down, the spokes on the wheels of the, of the uh, stagecoach, the mane on the horses, the expression, his artistic ability is overwhelming. He sent me another picture of one of my favorite. That's my favorite, and the next one is as well, of the farm. He said it's almost done. I show you that one to show you the depth of what he's able to do as you realize how far back he goes. And another village behind the farm and all of that. And I said, you're unbelievably gifted by God. And then I began to think about the context here this morning and recognize that God takes us, that dead piece of flour, that dead hunk of wood, and he has something in mind for us, some unbelievable portrait in mind for us, and sees every single one of us as not that dead piece of wood or that dead plant, but an amazing work of art that he wants us to be. Don't you ever, ever, ever underestimate or devalue yourself to Almighty God. You and I are works of art. We come in many different forms and many different styles, but we are his workmanship, God's masterpiece. Don't ever underestimate your value in God's eyes. You and I were that dead piece of wood, but God sees so much into us that sometimes we can't even see, and he just wants to be able to bring it all out. And so when someone tells you you don't have value or the enemy of your soul comes and tries to put you down or make you, don't, make you feel like you don't have any value, remind him that you are God's masterpiece. Because someone else will tell you different. And the world may as well. But God sees you with eyes of gold and knows your value and has something unbelievable for you. Which leads, obviously, into the next piece. That God doesn't want this masterpiece, this work of art, to sit on a display case somewhere, an easel somewhere just to be admired. He goes on to say he created us for a purpose. 
We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We don't do good works to earn salvation. We were created, once we received Christ as Savior, though, to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Remember, the scripture says you can't earn salvation by anything you do. Not of works, let no one should boast. The age-old question, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? Most people would say, I went to church, taught a class, gave some money, helped the poor. The list is endless. God says none of that will let you in. It's solely based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. Your faith and trust in him, understanding him as Savior, receiving him into your life, asking forgiveness of your sins, and giving your life into his control. We are not saved in your sermon notes by our works, but verse 10 tells us we are saved to do good works. And that is a huge difference. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to do good works. Works that he has prepared and equipped you to do. The book of James unpacks that in marvelous ways when he said, don't just talk to me about your faith. A lot of people can do that. Don't even tell me you believe in God. Even the demons believe in God. Let me see it lived out in your life. Let me see it expressed in your life. I want to see it lived out. If you really do have faith in God, you've accepted him as a Savior, you have been created to do something. Let me see that lived out. Not so that you earn his salvation, but because you want to live it out. Your works, my works, are a response to the gift that you've received from Almighty God. In light of what God's done, this is what I now do. He didn't save you so that you can sit and take it all in. He saved you to serve. And in your sermon notes this morning, if everyone in the pew fully grasped that and determined to live it out, very few churches would ever, ever, ever have to ask for volunteers. That's the blanks in your sermon notes. If every one of us really believed that, not what I say, what the Word of God says, that I really am saved to do good works, which He has prepared in advance for us to do, which means we're equipped to do it. He just wants to help bring it out. We want to help you do that as well. If every single person who really understood that, who accepted Christ as Savior, very few churches would ever have to ask for volunteers, which is one of the church's biggest issues. If we really understood that, we'd have a hard time finding what to do with all the volunteers that God would send. Because you're already equipped, and you're already called to do it. Most churches are known by the 80-20 principle. You know what that is? 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. 20% of the people giving 80% of the money. Almost every church, many organizations as well, understand completely the 20-80 principle. Now, we're extremely blessed here at Community Alliance Church. Our percentage, we've done the math, we've done the homework. Our percentage is much higher than that. We are blessed with a significant amount of volunteers. But many ministries still come up short, and many of them pull from the same volunteer pool. So that one person is involved in five different ministries because we don't have enough to fill the spot. We have inserts for you this morning. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That it would be based on the context of the message. We have needs. They're enormous. We have 110 people just to take to do children's ministries on a Sunday morning. That's one-tenth of our congregation on a Sunday morning just to do one ministry and their needs every single week. Now, of course, there are people who want to serve, but they want to do it in a way so that others notice. And would never do a behind-the-scene ministry that no one noticed. Which is why James says, can I be really honest with you? Be very sure of your motives. Whatever you do, whatever you ask, be very sure of your motives. 
Because there are a lot of people who love to serve and want to serve, and they understand all the context, but they want to make sure they do it in a way, in a place that others see. I'd always rather you serve in places, if possible. If you can do both in places that not many see, so that you always keep the motors in check. Now, there are others who would never want to be up front, and they are like that behind the scenes. There are some who feel led to start a ministry that churches like us can't feel led to support. We can't do or support every ministry that's out there, and there are those who feel that their ministry is the most important one that everyone should join and support, and we are blessed with that pretty much every week. We can't do them all. We can't support them all. We can't encourage them all, but there are so many different ways to be involved and use your gifts for the glory of God. If you have come to faith in Christ, and you're not serving somewhere here, downtown, around the community, in the organizations around the globe. If indeed you've come to faith in Christ and you're not serving somewhere, then you're not living up to God's design for you. That's as simple as I can put the Word of God. If you know Christ as your Savior and you're not serving somewhere at all, you're not living up to God's design for you because He bought you and paid a price so that you could come into the kingdom free of charge to do what He's already designed you to do. So, are you living up to your potential? Now, we'll help you. Try to figure out what that is. There are some that want to be in some places that shouldn't. There are some that... I want to sing a solo that ought not to even be near a microphone. And, and we're all, you're always going to have that. Matter of fact, not even should be in the same building as a microphone is. But it's trying to figure out, okay, then where do I fit? Knowing the church can't do everything that I feel led to do or support every ministry that's out there. But God, I, I, you saved me. You bought me with a price. I don't deserve it. I certainly can't earn it. I've been taught that I could, and now I get it. But I know that you've already just, I don't feel like it, but you're a masterpiece. You're God's work of art, so don't tell me he can't use you in some way or the other. When his word says he's already designed something for you to do, if you'll just say, let me explore and find out where that is. This is the word of God. It's been misconstrued, it's been mistaught, but I'm telling you, these three verses, if lived out, can change your life, which is why we want to make sure you understand and are in the Word of God. Father, we thank you for your Word. It is powerful. It changes lives forever. Thank you for the power that it has and holds over our lives. We come from so many different backgrounds, so God, as we begin to explore your word and unpack it and begin to see what it teaches. Help us to kind of set some of those things aside so that we can be sure we're living out what it is your word tells us to do. And, and I feel for some of our folks who have not always been told the truth in some ways and trying to figure it out. And I pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, while they're here with us, that we are, do our absolute best to communicate to them what you want to say, what your word teaches, so that we can live it out. For the person this morning who doesn't feel valuable, would you remind them of how unbelievably special they are? They are your masterpiece, your work of art. May they never live beneath the knowledge of that and never 
but beneath the privilege of serving you in some way or the other, trying to figure out what that looks like and get involved. So bless and use them as they explore those possibilities. Thank you again, Father, for your word, for the power that it holds and preserving it for these many years so that we can use it to give our lives the direction they need in a world that is so ridiculously confused. We thank you that you have kept this so that we can obey it and walk in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you.